Hello, I'm Major Adrian Allman. And I'm Captain Claire Allman. Welcome to the Birmingham Citadel Salvation Army podcast series. Birmingham Citadel is a Christian church located in Birmingham City Centre here in the UK. Each episode is a live recording of the Bible message shared during the Sunday worship service. It's good to have you share with us. And as you listen now, we pray that God will speak to you. May you know God's abundant blessing today. Good morning. During these uncertain last few weeks, there have been moments of brightness, of hope, of goodness in the adversity. And none better than the actions of 99-year-old Captain Tom Moore. On the 9th of April, Captain Moore and his family launched the Captain Tom Moore's 100th birthday walk for the NHS. It was a fundraising campaign on Just Giving, and the target was a mere £1,000. The aim was for Tom to walk 100 lengths of his back garden to mark his 100th birthday in a few weeks' time. Within 24 hours, Tom had reached his target of £1,000, and a new target of £100,000 was set. His story was picked up by newspapers and TV networks around the world. And ten days later, this remarkable veteran has now raised over £20 million for the NHS with donations from people from over 53 countries worldwide. And you know what? He's also achieved what he wanted to achieve, which is to walk the hundred laps of his garden. And all of this was spontaneous. It wasn't driven by politicians. It originated from an elderly man and his family wanting to do something good. We can be grateful that we live in a world where communication can be fast, widespread and influential. People are now doing things similar all over the world to raise funds to help during this pandemic. And the secret of Captain Tom's work is that his remarkable story was shared with many and quickly, enabling lots of people to respond. One of the things that often intrigues me about the events following Jesus' resurrection is that very few people would seemingly get to know. Why did the resurrected Jesus not appear to the crowds who cruelly sent him on his way to the cross? Why did he not appear before the religious leaders and worshippers in the middle of the temple? It could be said that this was a missed PR opportunity. Here was an extraordinary happening, and so to announce it to the world would have been the logical thing. Alert the media, gather the politicians, appear to the hoarding crowds. But no, Jesus instead chose to appear to individuals and small groups of followers instead. During his earthly ministry, there were times when Jesus specifically wanted to avoid making known publicly that he was the Messiah. Likewise, Jesus sought to avoid publicity on several occasions when he healed people or when he performed miracles. Yet the Gospels record many occasions when Jesus would focus on individuals, even when there were crowds present. These last few days, I've been mulling over and thinking of that well-known phrase, for an audience of one, for an audience of one. And as I read the resurrection narratives and reread stories in the gospel, I'm reminded that a major focus of Jesus' ministry was this idea of the audience of one, this concentrating on individuals rather than appealing to mass crowds. 
I read recently an interview Phil Wall did with the Journal of Aggressive Christianity. And in the interview, Phil speaks about a concept he calls contactless relationships. And in the interview, he said, I've started talking about contactless relationships. Over the last few years, we have migrated from checkbooks to cards with a PIN number, and now we just have to wave a card over a machine and it debits our bank account without any physical touch. That, for me, seems to mirror what's happening culturally. Our, rel our relationships are becoming increasingly transactional. It's all about what I get from the church or a relationship or a friend. Added to this, we want relationships without the contact. Minimal engagement for instant gratification. And although Jesus lived and worked in a very different era, climate and culture to mine, it was in the touch and depth of even the most fleeting of moments with people that he healed and helped. These significant encounters brought freedom, faith and forgiveness. The danger for us is that we want the, the added value of having people like and follow us without the challenge and demands of actually getting involved in their lives. And as followers of Christ, we have to reject so much of this cultural norm to pursue relationships of depth. I love that quote. I love that idea that Phil conveys in his interview. On my reading of Jesus's interaction with people, Jesus, I believe, pursued ministry with this idea of the audience of one. It didn't matter how seemingly uh, short the contact was, there was always a depth to it. I think of the blind man at the pool of Bethsaida, who he cured and he healed. It was an audience of one. I think of the woman with the bleed who touched the bottom of his cloak, and yet he noticed so much to give her attention amongst this crowd. I think of Zacchaeus in a tree where instead of carrying on walking he would stop look up and see this man all of these people were the focus of Jesus's attention nobody else mattered and in the hours after his resurrection Jesus did similar things the appearances were not mass gatherings to announce his rising from the dead instead there were audiences with individuals and small groups that would bring freedom, faith and forgiveness for those who he loved. John records a number of these incidents in his gospel. Let's look at a few of them. If we turn to John chapter 20, we see John's account of how Mary goes to the tomb on that Easter morning. She finds the stone rolled away and the body missing. So she goes to find the other disciples and she tells Peter, Peter and another go running to the tomb, but they can't work out what's going on and they return back to where she'd found them. And so she's left in the garden outside of the tomb on her own. And there in that moment of distress, Jesus appears to her. It's a one-on-one, -on -one. it's an individual meeting it's an audience with one and there Jesus gradually takes her to the point of recognizing that he is alive he stood before her and that she can rejoice it's the same exactly the same with doubting Thomas when he appears 
to the disciples for the first time in the locked room. When he appears for the first time, Thomas isn't there. So Jesus comes back again. He appears for the, a second time in that locked room. And the focus of his attention is on the one who would not believe, upon Thomas. It becomes an audience of one, even though there were other people present. In the next chapter, John records the story that we're all familiar with, the, the, the miraculous catch of fish. Peter's very morose. He's there in Galilee. He's gone fishing. They don't catch anything. And Jesus appears on the shore. He tells them to cast the net on the other side. And sure enough, the fish come into the net. They haul it onto the shore and they recognise it's Jesus. What does Jesus do? At that point, he goes off for a walk with Peter. It's an audience with one. It's just him and Peter. Even Luke's account, Luke's account gives us the story of the two on the Emmaus road. Okay, it wasn't an audience with one, but it was an intimate encounter with two people a short meeting but it had depth and actually the focus of Jesus's attention was just two people two followers on the road you see many of the things that Jesus did was for an audience of one and I think this idea of doing things for an audience of one is something that we should embrace too Earlier in his ministry, Jesus had given the disciples an important lesson in making God our focus. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he was teaching the disciples and us to pray. And he said these words, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Philip Yancey, when he was commenting on these verses, says this, According to Jesus, it's what God thinks of us that matters, not what others think. Jesus instructed us to pray in a closed room where no one could see us, rather than a public place where we might get credit for being spiritual. In other words, Jesus was saying, live for God and not others. And I like this thought that just as Jesus lived in many ways for an audience of one, we should live our lives for an audience of one also, that being God himself. That doesn't mean that we act as though we're performing for God, trying to earn his favour by our actions in secrets. Our good deeds will never save us or gain us merit in the sight of God. We know that. It doesn't mean that we'll receive additional blessings because somehow this is a, an exceptional level of devout behaviour. That our devotion will somehow mean that we're immune to difficult days. Living for an audience of one is not prosperity gospel. It doesn't mean that because we live for an audience of one, we will be beyond hardship, criticism or persecution. It doesn't mean we won't have earthly struggles or anxieties. It doesn't mean we'll live the perfect life free from fault. It doesn't mean either that just because we live our life for an audience of one, God himself, that we are no longer open to scrutiny 
or integrity and authenticity in our words and our deeds. Because whilst we live for an audience of one, we also represent one. We are God's representatives here on earth. Living our life with an audience of one does mean that we have a constant awareness of the God who makes himself known. And as we focus on all aspects of life when we live for an audience of one, we can be completely aware that he is everywhere with us. See, living for an audience of one also means that no matter what happens in life, God's kingdom values keep everything in perspective. In the dark days, we know comfort, peace, and as the songwriter says, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Living for an audience of one also means that in the brighter days, we can know the joy of the Lord without losing sense of other priorities and things that are important. You see, living for an audience of one is about living for God, not necessarily for others. In the Easter story, there's often one man who gets overlooked. His name is Joseph of Arimathea. He was a wealthy man. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And yet it's clear that the life of Jesus had made its impact on him. We don't know how he'd interacted with Jesus during the course of his life. But what does seem to be clear is that he had become a secret follower. If you turn to John's Gospel to chapter 19, verse 38, you'll read there these words. And John tells us this later. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of mare and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. Joseph was accompanied by Nicodemus. That's significant, isn't it? There's another whose life had changed through a private audience of one encounter with Jesus that we read about in John chapter 3. Well, here in chapter 19, John tells us that Joseph of Arimathea had kept his discipleship secret. Jesus was obviously unpopular with the elders of the church, the Sanhedrin. To outwardly support Jesus did not bring favour in their eyes. And so even though Joseph of Arimathea had loved Jesus, he'd had to attempt to keep his love for Jesus a secret. And yet, here, on the day that Jesus died, after Jesus had passed away, after he'd uttered those words, it is finished, Joseph would boldly go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus to be placed into his care and his trust. This was quite an extraordinary act. It might not seem um, important and we often overlook it, but actually it was an extraordinary act. I want you to think about it for a moment. Joseph had nothing whatsoever to gain. He had 
everything to lose. And yet for him on that day to not identify with Christ would have been an act of betrayal. And so what did he do? He went to Pilate and he asked that he be allowed to take the body of Jesus down and care for it. And that's exactly what he did. He would go and in front of everyone would climb a ladder, would remove Jesus carefully from the cross, care for Jesus's body and place it in his own tomb, the tomb that he'd purchased for himself. And in so doing, by doing these things, what was he doing? He, he was telling everybody, I believe in this carpenter from Nazareth. And so when the disciples that have been on the road with Jesus for years are fleeing, Joseph of Arimathea would declare his faith in Christ. This wasn't done for himself, far from it. It certainly wasn't done for those watching him either. They wouldn't have been impressed thinking, what a generous act that this man's doing. No, 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 no. They've been quite irritated that he was even showing some kind of care for Jesus. And Mark Mahmoud, his future would have been very different as a result of these actions. And yet by telling the world that he believed in Jesus, he was being obedient to Jesus' own words in Mark chapter 8. There in chapter 8 of Mark's Gospel, Jesus said to his followers, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In a sense, that's exactly what Joseph was doing that day. He was taking up his own cross. This wasn't being done for anybody else. It wasn't being done for himself, for the onlookers. This act was done for an audience of one, no one else. You know, God's opinion of you and me is the one that ultimately counts. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of us. And so as we come to the conclusion of our thoughts for this morning, I want us to consider a, a quotation from Philip Yancey because he, in one of his uh, books, puts a great question when considering this whole idea of the audience of one. And he says this, How would our lives differ if we truly played to an audience of one? Certainly our sense of ego and rivalry would fade because we would no longer need to worry about proving ourselves to others. We could concentrate instead on pleasing God by living in a way that would attract people to Jesus. That's a great quote. And what a great question. It's a question I, I pose to us all at the end of this morning. How would our lives differ if we truly played to an audience of one? How would our lives truly differ if we truly played to an audience of one? Jesus lived his life for an audience of one. He treated individuals with utmost respect. He gave them the full focus of his attention. He also treated his father with that audience of one attitude. Everything was about doing the will of the father. 
And just as Jesus lived his life for an audience of one, we must do the same. And so today, let's make that our prayer. Let's consider how our lives can be and will be different when we do play to that audience of one, to do everything, our thinking, our words, our deeds, for an audience of one, God our Father in heaven. Today, let's make it our prayer. And so as we come to the end of, of our morning, I want us to quietly reflect. And so to help us in our quiet reflection, we've got a little piece of music that we're all familiar with, John Gowan's beautiful words that just encourage us to come into this quiet moment, to maybe close the door and to just make the focus of our attention God himself, to know that as we sit here before God, he knows us, we know him. And in this place, this audience of one, he makes a better me. Let's pray together as we reflect in the quietness. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. So you don't miss any further recordings, please subscribe to this podcast and also share and review it to help other people find and join our Birmingham Citadel online congregation. This has been a production for Birmingham Citadel Salvation Army in the United Kingdom. If you'd like to know more about us or want to worship with us, then visit our webpage at birminghamcitadel.co.uk.